Welcome to episode 235 of Friars on the Farm. And with me is Roy, fresh back from spring training. Oh my gosh, spring training every year. It is so wonderful. It's such a uh, great, a great atmosphere, a great time. Oh, I know you can't make it out this year, but I'm sure glad I did. I, you know, just I, just these past couple of years, money has been tight. We've been kind of getting some things done, uh, not only at our house, but uh, I've, you know, I've had to spend some money on for some health stuff. Uh, you know, you know, these teeth aren't cheap, uh, and it is bitten into our budget for going to spring training. And believe me, I am the first one I want to go. Liddy wants to go, but it's just like, can we pencil it? No, we don't even, we don't even want to get our hopes up. It, it's such a bummer for us. Well, I love going to spring training. I love, I love the baseball side of it. But now that I've been around baseball for, you know, around Padre baseball for so many years. It's great to see old friends. Yeah. It's great to meet new friends. Yeah. Um, so one of my favorite interactions this weekend, I ran into uh, formerly known as Padres Geekster, Michelle, just an absolute gem of a human being. I ran into her a few times and I haven't seen her. We realized I hadn't seen her since March of 2020. We ran into wow. each other at the Cubs game, and that was the night before everything got shut down. And then standing next to Michelle was Steve Verissimo who I know okay. from Twitter and yeah. he's been, uh, he's been, he's worked in media, radio and television broadcast media for over 50 years. Now he's retired, but he's still out there taking videos and posting them on Twitter of all kinds of stuff every day. And it's, he's somebody that I had wanted to run into. Uh, so that I was glad to do that. So yes, the baseball was great, but also the stuff that happens off the field is just as great. Absolutely. And, and well, and who else did you run into? You ran into a friend of the podcast, actually, uh, on one of the backfields. Tell us the story about uh, you running him. Mike Daly. Mike yeah, Daly. So, I want to say Mike McCoy. God yeah, damn it. So, so, well, no, I found it. I ran into Mike McCoy, too. That's a whole different story that I might have to share off the air. Uh, <laughs> but no, uh, Mike Daly. So we heard that there was going to be a prospect. So prospect minicamp is going on. I think today or tomorrow is when the rest of the players are supposed to report. But it was prospect minicamp and a handful of other guys that were over on the, the minor league side. And that was it. Um, but we heard that there was going to be a scrimmage. So I go over and they, I didn't go all the way over where the bleachers were. I went over on the left field side and there was a, a light, uh, you know, a, a big light and there was a, uh, like a concrete pillar, the base. And so I stand up on that concrete pillar. Um, and so I'm kind of even with the left fielder and standing on the foul line is a coach. And I realized I recognized him. It was Mike Daly. Um, and he's just out there kind of chirping at the guys because it's it's a scrimmage. It's an instructional kind of a thing. Yeah. And so they, you know, stop and kind of work through things. Um, and so I had bought a hat in the team store and he did something he didn't have to do for me. He went above and beyond. I, I'm so grateful that he did this. Um, I bought a hat at the team store, which is Peoria's team store. Um, and it didn't have the logo on the side. I didn't realize this for a day or two. They didn't have a little 24 logo on the side and so i said hey your logo has your hat has the logo mine doesn't have it see and he goes hey what size hat do you wear i didn't think anything of it and then five minutes later here comes aj the uh the clubhouse manager yeah and he's got two hats in his hand one for me one for angela and i mean he did not have to do that that no. was just i mean my gosh <laughs> well i, I, and I bumped surprised. into him a few more times i mean just just a nice guy <laughs> You know, it's funny because when he's on the podcast, he's like, what are you going to do over the break? He's like, I'm going to come on the podcast every week. I almost thought maybe if we if we really pushed it, he would have come on every week to give us what he's done. Well, you know, I did some yard work or, I've, you know, I'm still waiting for the phone to ring. Um, 
I'm surprised that you knew your hat size. Like, I don't know my hat size. No? No. I mean, no, in I, fact, I'm in fact the, one I got from, I... the one I got from for uh, for fantasy camp is, is too small. I, I mean, it's tight. Because um, I don't know how to measure my head. Would you get a tape measure? I have no idea. Well, you put one on, and if it fits, then you look for one with the. If it's too tight, you look for one with the bigger number on it. Uh, yeah, I was. I used to. I wore seven and three eighths for a long time, but then I, I don't know if my head grew or or I just stopped uh, liking the tightness on my head. So now I get a seven and a half, so it fits kind of loose and comfortable. Ah, uh, a little little Bruce Bochy action. And and comfortably, conveniently, <laughs> my wife wears a seven and a half as well because it doesn't mess oh, her really? hair up. So then we can uh, a little back and forth with the hats. Right, a full seven, a seven, uh, seven and a half with the hair. Right now, right. Bochi is well over eight. He's like an eight and three eighths. He's yeah, yeah. That's where you're getting in the big melon range. Seven and a half is pretty average, I think. Well, hey, we got we were talking. We the agenda is this: it's uh, it's spring training is in full swing, and then we have your conversation, and it's just a conversation with old friend, uh, Sammy, spring training from ninety seven point three, the fan. Uh, yeah, Sam Levin. I sat down with him for about a half an hour. We talked about all kinds of things, but really I wanted to talk to him about his career, what's changed since we last talked to him in Amarillo and just kind of what, what life is like for him right now. Yeah, well, and that's the thing about we talked a little bit before we got on was like, you can't ask him anything about the team right now. It's spring training. Everything is so fluid. And what started, you know, two days ago probably doesn't really matter two days later. Um, it, it's such, it, it's so... You know, it's such a fluid time um, that the information is old almost as soon as he gives it. And it's funny when I hear him, you know, in the morning radio talking to Ben Woods, um, it's pertinent for that day. And then, you know, maybe some scheduling stuff. But then like the next day, it's it's totally new information, irrelevant from the day before. And it's just and that's just the nation. That's just the nature of spring training. Well, before we get too carried away, I understand you got some housekeeping to do. I do. So, hey. Please go to Apple Podcast and then give us a review. Give us three stars, five stars, ten stars. It doesn't matter. We're also on Spotify, iHeartRadio. Hit the subscribe button. We're also on X. Follow us on Threads and Instagram. You guys, we have the YouTube channel up. I'm posting every interview that we do. I'm getting better at the graphics, and I'm getting better at the editing. There was some major editing having to be done if you guys take a look at the Arello Padron because at the very end there's a different a whole different background because I had to go on my phone um check them out they're real fun you can scrub and go through and, and catch different parts um hit the subscribe button hit the like button it really helps us out and uh, coming forward moving forward into the next season I'll be posting all my interviews uh, I'm going to get the gear and we talked a little bit to Sammy about the gear uh, I'm going to be able to video any of the interviews I do up in Lake Elsinore or that you do up there and we'll be able to post them on the YouTube channel and uh, it'll be good. It'll be fun. And uh, another, another way to show uh, and give you guys some content, you know? So, okay. So you put us on YouTube not too long ago yeah. and I didn't think a whole lot of it. Um, but I mean, I, I was glad that you, that you did it, yeah. but I, you know, how big of an impact is it going to make? Well, so we're back there. Uh, this was uh, Monday. There was another back lot scrimmage. This time it was some big leaguers that were pitching. Sean Reynolds was one of the guys pitching. Six foot eight, uh, converted first baseman, picked him up from, I think, the Marlins organization last year. Uh, and Angela starts talking to this nice lady sitting behind him, sitting behind her. Turns out that it was Sean Reynolds' mother. And she was super nice. And she 
has watched us on YouTube. She found us on YouTube. So I, I like, she's like, I thought you looked familiar. Your voice. Yeah. I'm like, oh my gosh, I was so flattered. So YouTube is making an impact. You know, we, we, that's fantastic because, you know, it's not it's not the views. It's who views us. And that's and that's what's important. It, it's not how many. And believe me, I would love to have 50 million followers and 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 have all this content, you know, blow up. And we actually make or help even break even to pay the SoundCloud account. Um, but it's more important. It is for the players. It is for their parents. It is for families. It's for friends. And it's for fun. And that's why we do it. We're not here to make money. We're here to tell those guys stories and and have fun doing it. So that's that's really cool. Um, but dude, the games are going. Uh, it's so funny. a couple of impressions that I that I yeah. picked up while I was out like uh, out in, in the the back lots. So that first scrimmage that I was watching, um, Dylan Head was up to bat ripped a line drive over the center fielder's head and he got around to third base lickety split. I mean, he, they say that he's an 80 grade runner, but you don't really get it until you see it. Um, and I don't think it really even shows up when you're watching him in the, in the field, you'd see somebody track down a fly ball. You're like, wow, he covered a lot of ground, but it's different when you see somebody bust out of the box right. and you turn around. And by the time you look back, they're sliding into third base. Uh, he has wheels, but so in one of the prospect things that they're doing, they're doing these competitions. They did yeah. a 60 yard dash and this isn't just the stopwatch click, you know, who, how fast is your thumb clicking? They had lasers and everything set up to really, really get everybody's 60 yard dash time. And I thought for sure Dylan head was going to win the thing handily. Turns out I asked Anthony Villar after, afterwards, uh, it turns out Homer Bush jr. Won the competition and Ooh. I mean, Dylan Head's not a small person. Dylan Head's probably about five nine, five ten. He's pretty built now. He's put on a lot of a yeah. lot of mass. Looks good. Uh, but Homer Bush has six inches on him. Easy. He's yeah. listed at six three. I think there's no way he's under six four. He is a large <laughs> and just he's got shoulders out to here. He's absolutely ripped. He looks like he should be you know a small forward on a basketball court. Yeah. Um, it's an absolute specimen of a human and he's got the big hair and he's got the personality that just like you see him and yeah. it's like, he's, he's, he's got whatever it is. He's got it. Yeah. Uh, so I was glad to run across him a couple of times and he really made an impression on me just the, the way that he carries himself. Yeah. He, I, I noticed that also in Elsinore this last year, he just, you know, when I talked to him, he was confident, he was comfortable. Um, he knows, you know, having the pedigree, he knows that it's gonna that it's a process, and that process is not guaranteed. So that off-season workout, the off-season player plan, uh, is in full effect, especially with Dylan Head. That kid, he was pretty scrawny when, when we saw him in, in Elsinore this year. He bulked up, not bulked up, but he 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 muscled up and looks good. And you know, the, the running you noticed uh, in in the game earlier this week with Homer Bush trailing down, you know, dragging down a, a a ball hitting the gap, but two days ago, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah I think it was yesterday's game. I got a little, little pat on the back for that. I responded to the, the Padres shared the, the video and I responded and I said, I've seen that trot before and it was a gif of a gazelle. <laughs> well, his dad, Homer Bush senior shared that. It was like true and yeah. funny. And I'm like, Oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> both, both, both Homer and, and his, uh, you know, both parents are really active on social media. They're really friendly with fans. Uh, she's commented a couple of times on some of the stuff that we've done on fires on the farm. Um, and they're very proud of their kid and they should be. Absolutely. The kid's a stud. And, and I tell you, if we can find some power in that bat, um, he can be an absolute beast. 
Uh, oh yeah, the, the, the power's in there for sure. I didn't get a chance to see him take batting practice, uh, but I mean, th- that's what the, the the writers talk about. That the power's there. It's a question of how well is the hit tool going to carry the upper levels. How is he going to hit against double right. A hitting? And that's really going to be the 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 litmus test. Uh, but you know, give him a year in double A and see what he does. If if he takes off in double A, he's going to move real quick. Yeah, he already absolutely. he looks like a big leaguer. He has yeah. the frame. That's one thing you kind of start to understand as you spend time around the back lots. Is you you can see okay though there's a build that the big leaguers have, and it's just from yeah. years of working and baseball exercise and all of that. Um, you know, Jake Cronenworth and even like Matthew Batten. He's not a tall guy, but there's a they, they get built a certain way, yeah. and he's already built like that. Yeah, lean mobility. Um, I saw a little bit of that with Samuel Zavala as well. He looks like he's put on a couple pounds of, of muscle as well. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure he has. And I, I walked across, you know, cross paths with him a couple of times. Uh, but I, I haven't seen him enough to really, you know, be able to say, okay, well, this is baby Sammy, and now this is grown up Sammy. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, he's just keeping on doing his thing. And I, I always have to remind myself how young he is. I think he's still 19. I think yeah. he's, he hasn't even yeah. turned 20 yet. Um, so you, you got guys like him and then Tirso Ornelas is kind of on the other side of that, but it feels like he's been around for a long time. It feels like Sammy's been, been in the Padre system for three, four years. Um, I mean, he's been with what he's been up to like Elsa the last two years, I think, yeah. right? Yeah. And then that last, you know, last month of the season, they moved him up to Fort Wayne and, uh, we're just going to throw that away. That, that's just learning curve. Uh, that's just oh, yeah. learning how to get your foot down in that big, kick of his big leg kick uh and a little more advanced pitching and remember we talked to marcy like he saw better pitching he said in high a than he did in double a um and, and so i think there's gonna be that adjustment you know we're expecting big things from him this year and i'm sure sammy's gonna start in fort wayne and and continue the progression at 19 years old in, in high a is still very very young and oh yeah there's lots of development there available for well, him he ended that season on an exclamation point because he got up to high A and he struggled. But then in that postseason game, he had that huge home run. I think the Tin Cap still wound up losing the game, uh, but it was in a big moment. I think there were two runners on and just absolute mammoth blast to yeah. right field. And so that that made me feel good. It's like that's the moment right there. Okay, hang on to that. The one that makes you come back. Yeah, it's like in the batting practice. You hit one ball really good. You're like, all right, I'm done. Finish on that. You don't finish on a foul pop up or a grounder. Yeah, well, he got to finish his season on that. Leave that. That leaves a good taste in your mouth after yeah. a couple of weeks of struggle. Absolutely. So, did you make any games? We did. We we. This is the first time I've gone to Peoria, and I did not see an actual game at the Peoria ballpark. Um, instead, we ran into Blake Hunt, old friend of the podcast, old friend of the podcast, one of our first interviews, uh, and we. The following day, we went out to Glendale uh, to watch the Mariners play the White Sox because Blake gave us a little hint that he was playing in the second half. Uh, That was our first trip to Glendale. Very nice ballpark. They had some, if you go up the right field line, there's a stand that has some really good hot dogs. They got Italian sausage, bratwurst, and they got a, what what they call it, a Sonora dog. It's a a hot dog wrapped in bacon, and they put beans and pico de gallo. Oh, my God. It was so good. Um, And then we went and found... Yeah, yeah, pinto beans. Oh, damn. Yeah, so it's it's a little bit messy, but it was worth it. Um, and then the other ballpark that we hit, we hadn't been to Hohokam Stadium where the A's play. And Jason Rosario, who we'd followed a little bit through the podcast, but I got to meet him up in Lake Elsinore when he was there in 2019. 
team. Oh, yeah. We had, um, I had him on the podcast the back ace. in the day. Oh, that's right. He did the backflip. Yeah, I did the backflip. Yeah. And Angela asked him about that. That's right. <laughs> he did the backflip that scared you. And um, what was her name? Oh, my gosh. Scared scared you guys to death. I think she's with the ace. I cannot remember her name on the top of my head, but I know she's with the major league team now. Um, and she did the translating for us. She's with the Padres. Ashley, and, yeah. Ashley Magdalena. Yeah, that's it. And, and he did the backflip and she freaked out. She's like, oh my God. I'm like, yeah, he does it all the time. Right there in the concourse. <laughs> yeah. So he's on the, he's not on the 40 man. He's a non-roster invitee. Uh, but both of those guys, they went off to East coast teams when they got traded away. Uh, so they've been, they've been doing spring training on the East coast. We haven't had a chance to run into them. So we went out and found him and same thing. Jason came over, gave us a big hug and, you know, I miss you. I hope you're doing well, all that stuff. Now he has two little kids. Yeah. He's married with two kids. And that was, we, we had met his girlfriend back in the day. So just, you know, connecting with, with people you haven't seen in a while. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's one of my favorite things. Jason didn't get into the game that day, but you know, so be it. So visiting those two ballparks, we got to check off the final two parks on our list. So we have all uh, all of our little pins that we collected from all the ballparks. Now we just need to put up a, a board with a map and stick them all in the in the map. Oh, look at you! And I love that Glendale Stadium. Uh, it is the you know the White Sox do they share it with the other team, but it's nice because the team stores out there in the outfield. Um, great ballpark. I liked it. the The overhang, the yeah, the overhang and uh, the bowl is really kind of cool, really futuristic looking. Um, what other ballpark do you go to? Uh, those were the only two that we visited. The, the rest of our time we spent around the back lots. Um, yeah. And and that's I like it that way. In the past, we've overscheduled things. We bought tickets way in advance. Right. This time we just said, let's just play it day by day. And as it turned out, our, our plans changed a little bit because we found out that Blake was going to play in that game. And so let's go ahead and do that. Um, so, yeah, we saw the White Sox at Glendale. We did not want to go on a day that that other team was playing. Yeah. Um, so... They have a they have a bowl. It's a, a, a mac and cheese bowl, and they put pulled pork on it, and it looks really good. The only problem oh. is it comes in a little helmet, and the only helmets that they have are these this ugly blue color. Yeah, that ugly blue. Oh god! And I just I I couldn't I couldn't do that. I couldn't go there. If yeah. they had a White Sox helmet, I would have been all about that. <laughs> it's like the, in El Paso, right? Don't they have the nachos in the, uh, in the, in the dog? They have one in the dog bowl, and then they have something else in a, in a helmet as well? Yeah, the dog bowl. I, I, I got one of those, and I kept the dog bowl for a long time. That was a water bowl here, and then finally the dogs chewed it up. But, yeah, you get a, little, you get a dog bowl for your nachos. I love it. Oh, oh that's great. So, hey, let's keep moving on. Uh, we got just a little bit of news here, and that yeah. is – say it. So trimming the roster brought to you by Manscaped. So go to manscaped.com, use code FRIERS for 20% off and free shipping. We'll have a little more for you later in the show. Uh, but the Padres made their first round of moves. Um, they had reassigned the following players to minor league camp. Right-handed pitchers Giovanni Cruz, Kevin Copps, Lake Bacher, Moises Lugo, Nolan Watson, Drew Carlton, outfielders Tirso Ornelas and Robert Perez Jr., catcher Chandler Siegel, and infielder Nate Mondu. Um, so those weren't real. None of those were real surprises. I don't think any of those guys had a, a, a clear path to making the major league roster. They really would have had to just show up and, and, and whoop right. everybody else to make it. Right. Um, I do think we're going to see some of them later. Kevin cops. I saw him pitch in the back lots game. The same one that, uh, Sean Reynolds pitched in. Um, it was Wandy Peralta, 
Sean Reynolds, Nick Hernandez, and Kevin Copps have pitched in that game. Kevin Copps looked real good. The fastball plays up and it it it's got some zip to it. I was surprised. I I keep hearing that it's kind of a flat. No, it, it it's got some carry to it. Okay. Uh, he, he had a clean inning. Anyway, so with those moves, the Padres now have 60, uh, 60 players in Major League Camp. But hold on. The Padres There's signed more. outfielder Tim LaCastro to a minor league contract. It hasn't been announced yet, but the uh, the news is broken. Uh, so right-handed hitter, speedy guy, can play a little bit of center. He's more of a left fielder. He's going to be our fourth outfielder at best. Um you know, I think fans are still hoping, expecting that the Padres are going to do something and get a veteran outfielder. I, you know, it's still very early in spring, but, you know, the end of March is coming up pretty quick. And that's when those guys bounce out to, to Korea. And they, they're done after that, right? They're done. Spring training is over after that. They go into the season or do they come back? And kind do of, they have a kind of sort of. They've got two exhibition games against the Mariners at Petco Park. Yeah, that's it. That's it. But it's um, kind of weird that you play two games that count and then you come back and you've got you know, a couple travel days and a couple of exhibition games, yeah. then a couple more days, and then the season starts again. It's kind of like start, stop, start. Which you know gives ample opportunity for the guys that we've had in the podcast and that have been uh, talked about regularly here uh, to make the team. And, and one of those guys is Jackson Merrill. Like I, I keep hearing from all the writers, all the, all the content creators that are talking about Jackson is really looking like he's going to make the team. What do you think about that? Hey, the eye test, right, he looks the part. He's yeah. talking the right stuff. I mean, you see the interviews. The, he gives all the right answers. Um, and even in these goofy question of the day things, I find it interesting that he's always pulling people in. He's yeah. engaged with it. Yeah. You see the 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 charisma, the the personality, the leadership that he's just, he's a born leader. He's he's that guy. Um, he's hit pretty well. He's handled himself pretty well, both in left field and in center. Um, he was talking. I think uh, he was on Ben and Woods, and he was talking about how he actually yeah. feels more comfortable in center field. He, he'd only played one game there, but. In center field, you don't get the weird slicing curves. Yeah. It's just, you know, is the ball carrying? Is it diving? Is it knuckling? Um, and he's not worried about running into a wall. I kind of get that. Right. So I don't know. I, I I feel like it's 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 way aggressive. I it, it's hard to see somebody who hasn't even had a half season at at double A, um, you know, and and handed the keys to a starting big league spot. I think if the season started right now, it'd probably be pro far and left. And uh, and a Zokar in center, and then they're mixing Maryland where they can. Um, by the way, we were there when Profar arrived on the back lots, and so oh, lots nice. of smiles that morning. That was a lot of fun seeing him, you know, goofing around uh, just when they were out stretching and playing catch and stuff. But seeing that smile back on the field was nice. Yeah, I um I I, I agree with you. I Jackson Merrill will make his pro debut this year. There's no no doubt about that. Um. A really strong showing, I think, might have him start in El Paso. Like he needs to see upper echelon pitching consistently, and 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 allow that to happen, so he can be ready to come to the major leagues and then to continue to develop there. You don't want that that far of a development curve. And you know, Taddy said he's seen enough. This guy breaks with the club. He said that. Um, but I, you know, you just you want to get him more at bats when there's less pressure and he can continue to to develop. I mean, there's not much more that he has to do. And at 20 years old, that's pretty accelerated, and that's almost Tatis acceleration. Um, and you know how much uh, you know 
how much we love the family and we want to see this happen. I, I just think it might benefit him to spend a little bit of time in El Paso, see some upper echelon pitching with a little less stress, a little bit of a, you know, a little more of a what's it learning curve, but just less pressure. Uh, and, and then come up when say there's a, maybe an injury or something doesn't work out or he's just tearing it up. Um, right. It, and, uh, he didn't, he didn't exactly dominate in his time in double a, uh, he batted 273, 338 with a 444 slugging. That's a 782 OPS, which is really good. Yeah. Uh, but it's not like he was blowing it up down there. Um, I, I think what carries is that he has such a patient approach at the plate. He's yeah. already shown that going the other way, um, you know, not trying to do too much. Uh, he's swinging at the right pitches. He's taking the right pitches. So those are the things that they see that says, you know, he's a mature hitter for his yeah. age. But then you need to turn around and remind yourself that he's still 20. He's not even old enough to pick up a beer yet. Right. So it, it's Which is a clown you know, question. <laughs> I, I think it's it's been interesting that they've been giving Jason Marcy or Jacob Marcy a lot of play. I, he started yesterday's was it yesterday's game? Yeah. The starting center fielder. Maybe it was today. Um, so to get him more more at bats, it's like a chance to see what he can do. And he started off hot. Now he's cooled off the last couple of games. But I feel like it's either Marcy or 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 uh, Merrill Pauly? is going to make the big league Merrill, yeah. roster. Yeah. Right? Because they need an outfielder. They need somebody that can hit lefty. Paulie's been playing exclusively infield, mostly first base. So yeah. I really think that they're looking at those two guys. Um, and then Paulie Martarella, you know, they're infielders and the Padres have a ton of infielders. So I, I feel like they're kind of on the outside looking in. It's just get your reps, make your presence known in spring. And we'll see you later on in the season, maybe. Yeah, and definitely get comfortable. Like it's their first big league camp. It's the first time, not not under the lights, but you know, it, it's different when you're you know with the big league club. Even if it's spring training, there's a little bit of pressure. There's a little bit of I would think a little bit of want to try to do too much. Um, you don't want to make any any noise with any of the batting averages. Hell, Tatis hasn't even got a hit. But when you're young guy like that, you almost want those guys to start hitting early and often in camp to to make some noise. Um, we know that we don't scout the stat line and that development watches those guys and they care about the at bats themselves more than, you know, more than the outcome. Obviously outcomes are great, but they, they watch how the at bat takes, uh, takes place and you know, how, how it plays out essentially. Um, but I just think all those guys have done really enough to get into big league camp and have a good showing and put their names on the map. Really? Yeah, you, you have to take it in context. They're playing in spring training parks. They've got what, like three, four thousand people watching them, and they're up against pitchers that either, if it's a starting pitcher or like a major league caliber pitcher, they're working on stuff. They're just working it. I mean, look at what Joe Musgrove's been doing. Yeah. He's still messing with pitches right now, and it's these guys might not even be trying to get the batter out. They've got another another right. objective in mind, uh, and then half the other half of the at bats are against somebody that is in their kind of shoes, trying to right. earn a job. So it's double A, triple A guys, maybe a veteran trying to make his way back. And so it's not, it's a whole different thing from opening day, 50,000 people packed into a ballpark, deafeningly loud. And you've got, you've got a, their best starter on the other side with smoke coming out of his nose as he's trying to, to put you away. <laughs> it's a whole different competition. Yeah. Yeah. Also with, you know, with, with, uh, with information like those guys, I'm not sure how much of a player's plan they have or a hitters meeting they have prior to a spring training game. 
you know, we know that those guys get information on every pitcher. They know every at bet that they've had against that pitcher. So they come prepared in spring training. It's just raw talent against raw talent. And right That's now, I think, I, and right now I, I think it's, you know, the pitchers are a little bit ahead of the hitters. It doesn't matter how many backfield games you get into, how many live at bats against you Darvish you get, you're still, you know, it, it's still early and they're still trying to get their feet underneath them. Yeah, I was thinking about that, especially for the pitchers. So if you bring in Braden Nett has pitched in, in a game or two, and Cole Poplam came in, um, Gabe Moser came in and made an appearance. Other teams don't have a book on these guys. The right. major leaguers on that roster haven't seen them. They don't know what they do. So maybe they've got some flip thing. Okay, he's got fastball slider changeup, but they don't know, you know, where is his arm slot? What does it look like? What right. does he have any tells? Um, so I feel like those guys have a bit of an advantage coming into a game because they're a bit of an unknown. Right. And it's probably the same side for the minor leaguers facing the big league pitchers that they don't know where their hot zones or where their dead zones are, where the hole in the swing might be. I mean, because let's let's be honest, most guys in double A have a pretty big hole in their swing. They just haven't haven't been exposed yet. They haven't had right. to work through that adjustment. Right. Pitchers pitch to their strengths. They don't pitch to the hitter's weakness, which they do in the major leagues. You know, and right. you say about the new pitcher coming in, like how many times this last season did you say that in my head? Well, yeah, it's the first time we saw him. Of course he's gonna throw five innings, two hits, and no runs. You know, of course against a lineup like ours like of course that's what happens and uh you know it's just it's it, uh, brought me back to last season anyways okay well we have a we have a new captain at the helm and mike schilt is saying all the right things getting everybody pointing the right direction everybody what pulling the rope the same direction so yeah hopefully those bad vibes or whatever was was not working last year has been left in the past um i wanted to point out one thing i mentioned tim lacastro and i looked him up and he is a very odd duck in one particular category he is better at getting hit by pitches than anybody else in baseball history yeah i looked it up he's been hit by a pitch in 6.98 percent of his plate appearances that is far and away the highest HBP rate of anybody in major league history. Second place is 5.72%. Third place is Huey Jennings, who I think played in the 1800s at 5.09%. So if you plot out the, uh, you know, most guys there, they get hit by a pitch, like maybe three quarters of a percent. And you get right. the Anthony Rizzo's up there, at like maybe four, three and a half, four percent. Ty France is four percent. Carlos Quentin was three point nine. Tim LaCastro, seven percent of the time he steps in the box, he's getting hit by a pitch. So he gets on, on base. On base is on base. <laughs> yeah. What does he do? He gets on base and he's got he's got some wheels. He's he's also very successful at stealing yeah. bases. He doesn't steal bases at a high clip, but he steals them at a high percentage. He's very uh, efficient at stealing bases. Right. right. Um. Before we get on to our little manscape break here and our interview with Sam Levitt, I do want to point out there were a couple of transactions. The Tin Caps signed left-handed pitcher Mitchell Miller to a minor league contract, and they signed they signed uh, left-handed pitcher Paul Fry and assigned him to the Chihuahuas. Paul Fry actually has major league experience in uh, five separate years. He's got how many? Over 108, 188 games of major league experience as a reliever. So couple you of guys added caps. to the mix. You said the huh? tin caps? You tin said caps, the no, they sent him to the Chihuahuas. Right, but you said the tin caps signed. Oh. <laughs> no, the, okay. There's my little <laughs> cheat code. So my way to find these, the tin caps have a transaction 
page and it okay. shows all of the all of the transactions that happen in the Padres organization. So, you know, whoever they signed to whatever team, it shows up on this on this SD transactions page. But at the top, it's got a, a red apple instead of a instead of the uh, <laughs> SD. <laughs> Hey, it happens to me all the time at work. <laughs> anyway, so hey, right before uh, right before we send you to uh, Sam Levitt, uh, let's take a Manscaped break. You guys go to Manscaped, twenty percent off, free shipping, uh, and we'll be right back with Sam Levitt. Two thousand twenty-four is in full swing, and that means it's time for a New Year's resolution check-in with our friends at Manscaped. Newsflash: It's never too late to level up your grooming game and keep your bush tamed. Manscaped new lawnmower five point ultra is every man's cheap code to look good, feel good, and turn the page on confidence this year. Whether you're going for a trim or that clean shaven look, this trimmer has you covered, and it's got a little headlight. Yeah, the light's sweet. I, I, you know, when I got the gear, I use it. I use a lawnmower. I use the trimmer. Um, I've in the past have used various tools, um, using a razor, using uh, scissors uh, from various like really bad idea. This it, the product works. It is fantastic, and no nicks, no cuts, and you're nice and smooth. So it's been trusted. Over 10 million men worldwide. Now it's your time to get a grip on your grooming with the exclusive offer. Go to manscaped.com and use the code FRIARS and get 20% off plus free shipping. Again, get 20% off and free shipping with the code FRIARS at manscaped.com. Embrace a new you and definitely embrace a new trimmer courtesy of Manscaped. Rima. All right, we're here with broadcaster extraordinaire Sam Levitt. Uh, used to be the Amarillo Sod Poodles, now 97.3. Uh, does everything with 97.3. How are you doing? Welcome to Friars on the Farm. I'm doing well. It's great to be back on the podcast. My first appearance was from Amarillo, Texas, or it may have been actually here in Peoria. I can't remember, but great to be back with you, and welcome uh, back to Arizona. Thank you. Thank you. So I wanted to ask, so you went from Amarillo to the 97.3 job in San Diego. Um, how did that move happen? Was that something you needed to apply for? Was it a connection that you had? Oh, it was a little bit of both. Number one, there was a formal application, and there was a job opening. I mean, I, I saw it along with everybody else. And I applied and interviewed and got it. So in one sense, it was pretty simple in that sense. Um, but obviously, I had relationships to the Padres and some people in the front office and um, and some of the broadcasters here just because of my time in Amarillo and my time in the Padres system. So it always helps when you're you're applying for a job, you're in the running for a job to have relationships and, and just know some of the people that you're interviewing with, that you're dealing with, people that know you. I mean, people always say, right, that networking is, is such a big key to any business and certainly broadcasting, certainly media as well. So it was a, a pretty normal process, uh, you know, for the most part. But, you know, also I, I had relationships here and, and knew about the Padres and their minor leagues and their team fairly well uh, by the time I had applied. And, and obviously, I'd spent the year outside the system when Amarillo went to the Diamondbacks. But it was a mix of both. It was, you know, pretty standard apply, interview, and, and ultimately get the job. But obviously, I, I had plenty of relationships, uh, you know, with the Padres and around the Padres because of my, my time in Amarillo, really. 
So your role changed. You were play-by-play doing TV and radio there. Yeah. Now here you're doing pregame, postgame, uh, doing on-field interviews, doing uh, you're kind of filling in with the co- co-hosting some shows. Um, so how is that transition from one role to another? Yeah, it's a totally different job, and it's a totally different on-air role. It's a totally different type of prep day-to-day. I mean, how you prepare for a game in a play-by-play sense is totally different than what I do now for a pre- and post-game sense. I mean, it's, it's you know, it, it's the same kind of work, but it, but it's also different because with play-by-play, you have to have so much prepared for any scenario for any player and and you're just on for three three and a half hours a day now i'm on for two two plus hours a day as well but pre-game especially i i have segments right for the most part it's pretty structured what i do so i i know in some sense how i need to talk about things every day what i'm talking about who we hear from who i interview is different but you have to be really well prepped and i am whether it's play-by-play or hosting I'd like to think I'm always really well prepped. So it's just a different kind of prep because you're doing a different kind of broadcast. So it is a little different in that sense. Um, did the segments, did you need to develop what those segments were and what order they came I out mean, of that? Yeah, I mean, some some of it certainly was, was set when I got to the station and things they had done in the past. But there's been ideas that I've come up with and, and that we execute on now. I also do a lot of interviews and, you know, do some different things day to day. I like, especially with the pregame, I don't want it to just be my voice for an hour, right? I want to have an interview with a player Pretty much every day. Obviously, we hear from the manager. We hear from multiple players. I I want it to move quickly. I want it to be informative. I want fans to hear from players. I want them to hear about the players, my conversations with them. And, uh, you know, every day it's about, you know, getting ready for that game and previewing that game, making sure fans, you know, know everything they need to know before Jesse and Tony get on the air. And obviously, post game's a little bit different from a prep standpoint. It's not as intensive because you're reacting to what just happened. So it is much more, hey, this is what happened in the game. This is what I think. And we have segments during that, too. And we hear from players, too. And I interview for the postgame show as well. But it's so focused on what just happened that it ends up being more reactive. Whereas pregame, I'm, I'm prepping for that at 7 a.m. I'm writing down notes. I mean, things that I can do early in the day, like... The starting pitchers that night, for the most part, you know who's starting that night. Right. So when I show up to the ballpark, typically my notes for, for let's say, my starting pitcher segment, it's set. It's done. And I may adjust things if we hear things throughout the day. But, you know, there are things that, that you know, I, I honestly, my prep for pregame, and this is also an, an area where it's different than, than doing play-by-play. My prep for pregame, um, for the most part, it, it, it's done by the time I get to the ballpark. Because when I get to the ballpark, it gets really busy. Clubhouse is open. I want to record interviews. Then the manager talks. Then I like being on the field and talking to people and, and having that part of it day-to-day, really just having time to to talk to people and talk about the game and, and gather information on my own. And I edit everything. I mean, most of what you, you, you hear and see 
from what I do or from um, anything that involves me on, on the 97.3 social accounts. I get a little bit of help, but a, a lot of it is me. So, um, you know, it, it's, it's, I, I've, I've tried to bring that minor league mindset into the major leagues in the sense of like, I hustle and I work hard. I do that out here, certainly in Peoria. Um, but I, I try to be prepped by the time I show up. And then it's just filling in, you know, kind of kind of the different parts of it. But um, yeah, well, so it's a, it's a different you, prep and a different broadcast. Can you can you take us through a day? What so sure. you've got your prep in the morning. You show up to the ballpark. Who are you trying to talk to? Where are you trying to be? And then you've got your pregame. Where are you during the game? After the game? Sure. Yeah. Um, you're putting in a lot of miles. Yeah. So so during a game um, on a game day. At home, because home and road is different. Because for the most part, I do the the road games from the studio, which no, I don't know about the home games where you got to run from right, one end to the right. other. Right. The the road games are not as interesting because typically I, I don't have the whole going to the ballpark element of it. So typically, well, I'll do prep in the morning. Let's say I go on the air at three p.m. Like I can very much say, okay, I'm getting to the studio at eleven a.m. Noon, it still take me a few hours, but I can really focus for a few hours and kind of get everything done. And I do interviews, too, and I also do things at home and then play them when the team's on the road. It, it depends, right? But let's focus on home because that's more interesting. Yeah, wake up in the morning. Um, I try to prep early. So, like, all those notes for all the segments, pitching preview, who's hot, who's not. Uh, headlines can be kind of hard from around Major League Baseball because we don't know what happened that day yet. Same thing with the out-of-town scoreboard, right? Because on the West Coast, a lot of games are going on by the time I – or are sometimes done by the time I, I hit the air. Um, but but I try to get most of the work I can get done, the prep, the notes, before I get to the ballpark. And then I shower, get dressed, get to the ballpark at you know 1 to 2 p.m., depending on, on the day. And then at the ballpark, it's into the clubhouse, and it's uh, then you know the manager talks, and then it's on the field and editing every piece of audio that I need, whether it's from a media scrum, whether it's an interview, whether it's the other manager, whether it's uh, an, an interview from the visiting clubhouse, whatever it might be, it all gets edited by me. And by you know because I do an hour pregame show, so let's say for a six forty start, I have to be done by like. 5 20 25 because then i've got to get out to the loft um, right. and and usually i go in and set up my equipment beforehand at some point during that 2 p.m to 5 p.m window uh, so i don't have to do it right when i get out there so um go out there and do my pregame show and then i get off about 10 minutes before first pitch um, go back to, to the press box, write down my lineups. Uh, during the game, it's a, it's a number of different things. I'm, obviously, I'm, I'm getting ready for the post-game show. So all the notes, making sure we have all the highlights ready, making sure the out-of-town scoreboard's ready, and, and quite frankly, just paying attention to the game and writing down notes so I have sort of a, a blueprint, a map of things to talk about post-game. Do you, do you keep a scorecard? Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. That's something that has not changed from play by play to, to pre and post game. I have to. It's the only. It is still the only way I can follow during my post game what happened. I, I must. I would be totally lost without keeping so keeping score. Has your method of keeping score changed? No, exactly okay. the same. I use the same scorecard. I make a big scorebook like I did in, in Amarillo and Corpus Christi and uh, Soja, Illinois. All these places, same thing. Um, so yeah, so. So during the game, do that. I, if you ever listen to other radio stations on, on Odyssey, 
uh, during the game. I do updates on there, so you might hear my voice during commercial breaks. So I do three of those per game, so I've got to record those, edit those. Um, a lot of the social media stuff you see during the game is me, right? So if you see uh, a Jesse Agler home run call in the fourth inning, that's me. Who cuts it, who posts it, um, all of that. So a lot of that is me as well. And uh, then it's it's down to the field. If the if the Padres win, I do a, a, a post game interview. So got to get down there early, so I'm ready to go because I do that right after the game. So typically, let's say the Padres are winning in the eighth inning, I get packed up at some point in the eighth inning, head downstairs, and then I'm waiting right by the dugout to go right onto the field when they win. Let's say after the top of the ninth inning, do my interview, and then yes, it is the what, what has become I think a pretty famous sprint from. The Padres dug out through the left field corner, up the elevator, and to the top of the Western Metal Building, and get set up and do the post-game show. And if you've listened to my post-game show, it could be an hour, it could be two hours. It depends on the night, depends on the phone calls. Um, and, you know, I, I typically for, a, you know, if the game's three hours, let's say I get on the air at 940, 950 for a 6.40 start, yeah, I'm usually out of there by sometime after 11. You know, because at the end of the at the end of the night, I pack up and you know, kind of post some stuff and and uh, start getting ready for the next day. So long answer, but it's a long day. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's a lot, but it's fun. I mean, you know, I, I really enjoy it. I love this time of year, and um, I can still I can still absolutely say whether it was you know working in Independent Ball or Corpus Christi or Amarillo uh, or San Diego. Now it it never feels like work. Right, and it still doesn't feel like work. Um, it's fun, and uh, I'm enjoying it. So a long day, but a good day. I mean, you've waited a long time to get down onto a major league field, for sure. And so that's got to be exciting when fireworks are going off and you're down there talking to the player. Yeah, I mean, one one of the, my favorite parts of the job is is the post game interview. It's it's a lot of fun. It's awesome to be down on the field as they're coming off and shaking hands, giving high fives. I, I, I've really tried to get better at doing those post-game interviews. They're quick. It's loud down there. But it is truly one of my favorite parts. I mean, just, just being on the field, pre-game, post-game, it is absolutely one of my favorite parts of the job. I mean, that, that's that's the stuff where, you know, if you would have told 10-year-old Sam, who grew up in New York, going to Shea Stadium, and, you know, I, I've always loved baseball, right? It's my first love. So, yeah, it's uh, that part of it's a, a dream come true for sure. So you're putting in long hours during the season. You're a year-round employee now. Yeah. Um, so what are your off-season duties with 97-3? Um, a little bit of everything. So I certainly, you know, the, the baseball season is, is my focus and my go time, right? Like even here at spring training. I work every day. I'm here at 7.30 a.m. this morning when the clubhouse opens and, I'll be here until five, six o'clock when, um, when the game's over and I have everything posted. And obviously, here if you follow our social media, I'm running around all the time, right? There, there's a there's only one way I can post as much as I do, and that's if I'm running around and getting all the different stuff. So, um, but to answer your question about the off season, um, yeah, it's it's obviously a slower time baseball wise, but for the station, I, I do a little bit of everything. I mean, I help out, you know, running the website and, uh, you know, and following San Diego State. Um, I, you know, obviously fill in on on various shows, uh, whether it be the morning or midday or afternoon show, going to the winter meetings. 
you know, the truth is, is that spring training gets here pretty quickly. I mean, you know, if the Padres take, for example, the end of 2022, you know, it was almost November by the time they were done. And then we're back at it by early mid-February. So um, I do, I, I would say in the off season for the station, I do a number of kind of assorted a things, certainly Padres stuff, podcasts, winter meetings, any press conferences, certainly. Um, but it's kind of a, a mix and match of different things to, to keep me busy until baseball season rolls around again. Nice. So now you've been doing the major league job for what, three years now? This is my third season, yes. So thinking back over that time, are there a couple of moments that stand out to you, like favorite moments sure. that you got to experience? Yeah. Um, well, number the first moment is the first couple of months for me was a whirlwind because I didn't get to San Diego until about a week before the season started. Um, and that was a whirlwind. I was in Chicago at the time doing my off-season stuff with basketball and football, volleyball. And what really happened was I left Chicago because I, I had to get to Amarillo because I usually got there a couple of weeks before the season started. And at that point, um, maybe not a couple of weeks, this might have been, I don't know, three, four weeks before before the season started. And it was kind of time for me or the normal time I would leave Chicago Typically, I'd swing back home to my parents' house in New York, pick up sort of my summer stuff and my summer clothes because I kind of use that as a as a storage unit almost, and then I drive to to Amarillo. So, I didn't know if I recall correctly. I didn't know whether I had the Padres job um, when I left Chicago. Did you still have the Amarillo job in your pocket? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I did. I did. And I was very communicative with them. And, and look, you know, it was no secret to them that I was, you know, what my goals were and that, and there had been things in the past where, you know, I, I was pretty communicative with them about what was going on. I had a great relationship with everybody there in Amarillo. Um, so I left Chicago and started driving home to New York and I was going to spend like a week, week and a half at home in my parents' house and then go to Amarillo. And I remember I, I didn't, actually know whether I had the job yet. It was, I knew it was getting late as far as like the process. And then on my way from Chicago to New York, my mindset was I'm either going to New York, hanging out for a little bit and going to Amarillo, or I'm going to go past Amarillo and go to San Diego. One of two things is going to happen. So, um, I am driving home, uh, somewhere in the Midwest. I don't know, maybe Ohio, maybe Indiana, and got a call from Adam, Adam Klug, the, the program director at 97.3, and, you know, saying I got the job. And uh, obviously I accepted it right away and ended up going and, and spending a week back home in New York. And, and then uh, I actually drove through Amarillo, <laughs> ironically, to get to San Diego and drove coast to coast, New York to San Diego. And um, it was a whirlwind the first couple of months, and now I, I realize I keep straying from your original question. But if you don't, if, if you know me, I like to talk. Um, but it's your paid job. Yes, yes. I can. I ask Ben and Woods when I do their show. Like I can. I go all over the place. But um, so back to your question about that. That brings me back to the first couple of months. It was just a whirlwind, right? Like getting used to it, finding a place to live. I mean, I, I was living at a hotel for a month and a half. Um, you know, it was hard. It was hard. And, and I, and honestly, I was getting used to a brand new thing and working in the major leagues and we can get more into this is, is to me a lot different than working in the minor leagues. It is, there are a lot of differences. So the first couple of months is a memory in and of itself. As far as moments, um, look, the, the time of the Juan Soto trade 
was significant. Um, I had never been part of anything like that, a huge trade deadline acquisition, him arriving, the press conference, doing one-on-ones with him and Josh Bell uh, after the press conference, and then that first game, the first inning, all of it. There was so much great energy uh, around that that span. And then, obviously, the postseason was incredible. Uh, the night they beat the Dodgers, being on the field for that was unbelievable. I mean, I have some videos on my phone that I still go and, and look at because it was so electric. I mean, it, it was just like nothing I'd ever experienced, been a part of. Um, obviously, the NLCS was cool. Just being a part of that and being on the field. and Now, when all the champagne was flowing, you were back up in the loft doing the show, yeah. right? Yeah, I did so, some I did some really long post games. So Champagne Sammy didn't get to go have no, the champagne No, no, that's shower. Tony's job. Tony does an excellent <laughs> job at being in the clubhouse. So And Jesse kind of uh, is up in the booth, and I kind of come in and out and, and come on after. So, um, But, yeah, I mean, that was so much fun, um, the postseason run and um, – you know, so so that's a, a obviously a big moment. Um, you know, last year being at spring training for for an entire spring for the first time was awesome. Uh, there were certainly great moments last year, but you know they continue to kind of you know build those memories and, and moments that that I've really cherished. So it's been awesome. Yeah, this morning I saw Don Orsillo was posting that he's starting his something like his twentieth or twenty fifth year yeah. in broadcasting and. You know, you're kind of on the on the front end of that. You're three and, years and, in now on the yeah, major league side. And Don's a guy who spent you know a while in the minor leagues as well. Um, you know, obviously has spent a long time now in the but major you leagues. Pay your dues. Absolutely. I mean, I, I I mentioned how the minor leagues and major leagues are different. Um, you know, it, I should say in one sense, it's baseball. Okay, and they're players, and it is similar in one sense. I would say the biggest difference is everything's just bigger here right um there's in the minor leagues in amarillo let's say it was just me right i'm the play-by-play guy producer technical guy equipment guy and when you talk about like being around the team i'm the only person right i'm i'm the only one that's not a coach or a player getting on the bus and going with them 10 hours and getting out of the gas station at 2 a.m to get snacks like that's that's a, an only minor league experience, and I loved it. I loved it. Here it's different, right? There's there's Jesse, there's Tony, there's me, there's Don, there's Mud, there's Bob Scanlon, um, there's Mariluz who uh, has just joined us. Like there's just um, you know there's just way more people around, um, a lot more media around. Um, you know, and everything is just a little bit more grand in the sense of the ballpark and the players and the money. It's it's different. It's it's wonderful. They're both wonderful in their own sense. And there's certainly a lot of things that I have here, experiences I have here, things I can do here that you just can't do uh, in the setting of the minor leagues. But it, it is different. You know, it is a different uh, experience. Whereas like in the minor leagues, it's just you. And, you know, here it's it's a much bigger operation in every sense right the i guess the way to put it is the lights are a lot brighter and the stadiums are a lot bigger mm-hmm. so um but they're they're both wonderful in their own in their own ways but yeah it's i guess i say all that to say like there really was a a learning curve for me from going you know working in the minor leagues for seven eight seasons to now being here and it took me i think a season or two to to really get my feet under me and and i i feel like Right now, here at spring training 2024, I'm 
I'm feeling as comfortable and as confident in my job, in knowing people around here, my role, what I do, as uh, as I've probably ever been in you know in my time in San Diego so far. Well, you talked about that first couple of months were rough. It's a big adjustment. Yeah. And you've mentioned a lot of people, Jesse, Tony, yeah. um, Dave Marcus. Oh, Dave, I can't you know, forget so Dave. So <laughs> who, who was instrumental in kind of helping you make that adjustment, taking you under yeah. their wing? Everybody. I mean, certainly Jesse and Tony have been great to me. Dave Marcus has been great to me. Um, everybody in there, Don, Mud, Scan. I, I mean, everybody's been great to me. Eric Meyer, you know, uh, Chris Connolly, people in the front office of the Padres that, that obviously I have relationships with. Everybody's been really, really good to me. Um, I've known Jesse for, for a long time, going back to, man, I when did I meet Jesse? I think I met Jesse for the first time at the winter meetings in Nashville. And that must have been 2015, 2016. This is well before I was in Amarillo. You were a little even. baby. Yeah, I was a really young broadcaster, and I met Jesse for the first time, and I always stayed in touch with him. Um, obviously, I always talked to him when we were a Padres affiliate in Amarillo. So I've I've had a relationship with Jesse for a long time, and he's been incredibly helpful and kind to me uh, in transitioning here. So it's been everybody. You know, it, it really has. Even the PR staff, like, it, it's, it's everybody um, who's really helped. But, uh, yeah, you know, Jesse... Is, is certainly the, the one that I've known the longest, uh, going back to, I think, when I was in independent ball with the Gateway Grizzlies. So he's always been a, a mentor and a wonderful resource for me as I was coming up through the minor leagues and uh, continues to be, certainly. Nice. Well, as Padres fans, we really are blessed with a whole host of great people that covered the Padres, yeah. print media, everybody. Um, so last question for you. Now, this is your, this is your third spring training here. Second full spring, spring uh, training. Well, it was my third season. I, I made a quick, so on that drive from New York to, um, uh, to San Diego in 2022, I stopped here for one day. Oh, okay. And I think I saw a game at Camelback Ranch. Uh, and I was, I, I saw Jesse and Tony there. Um, well, you've now lived a, a, a few months of your life yeah, in but, Peoria. But yes, but yes, last year was my first real spring training here, and this uh, is my second, yes. So do you have any hot spots around here, any any hidden gems? Um, you like I don't want to give them snack? away because most of where, for the most part where I go is not here on Bell Road. So um, I'll give you a couple of spots that okay. I like. Um, one restaurant called the Sicilian Butcher. Oh. Um, I think that's what it's called. There's... One's the butcher and one's the baker. I think the baker's next door. I, I may get these names wrong, but I'm pretty sure it's called the Sicilian Butcher. Uh, is excellent. Italian? Uh, yes. Italian yes, steakhouse, Yes, a lot of meatballs. Kinda? Yeah. Oh, like okay. Their specialties, their meatballs. Um, oh, my wife's Italian. She's yeah, going to love there's, that. Uh, there's another Italian restaurant called Bottega, I think it's called, um, which is in a little bit of a different area. Uh, I went to the Vig uh, the other night. That was pretty good. I'm trying to think what else. What else over here on Bell? Um, I mean, there's all the chain restaurants, which I don't need to tell That's people about. That's the thing. I see the chain restaurants yeah, well, all right, over the right, place. I like yeah. to get away from that if right, I can. Right here, there's, there's a lot of chains. Um, there's good places in Phoenix. Like, I, I try to... Um, I am not somebody who ever, and this has never been me, who, like, sticks in my apartment or... You know, likes being home. I, I really don't like sitting at home, and I never like sitting at home. So I try to get out. So, for example, I'll give you an example. Yesterday, the, the Padres played at uh, at the Cubs Park in Mesa, right? So I'm not the type that's then going to drive back to around Glendale, where where my Airbnb is this year, 
and then get dinner. Like, I want to try a different place in Mesa. So there was a place called Culinary Dropout, uh, sort of by the Arizona State campus. So I went there. Um, I try to get out in a bit. I try to use the trips, the drives here to kind of check out different parts of uh, Phoenix, whether it be, you know, uh, Scottsdale or Mesa or Tempe or, or whatever it might be. Um, but, yeah, I would say the, the two Italian restaurants I mentioned, they're pretty good. There's a sports bar called Zips, which is pretty good. Um, went to a sushi restaurant over here that was pretty good the other night. Sushi in Phoenix. Uh, sushi. I've yes. always heard like rule of thumb. Well, you don't, I don't go to sushi where you're more than a thing. couple hours drive. Here's from the, the thing: I don't the ocean. eat. I don't eat actual sushi. I don't. I, I mean, I I will like take one piece, but it's not my favorite. So okay. I, I do veggie sushi, or I get okay, you know, chicken teriyaki or something like that. You know, I I kind of just do other dishes or just vegetable or vegetable tempura sushi or shrimp tempura something like that but uh yeah there, if you search them out there's a lot of good restaurants in this general 15 20 minute vicinity you just I, I would encourage people if you have a car and you're here just get off get off bell road and 83rd here a little bit and you will find a little bit more and also i'll say this too and this is something i've i've noticed the last couple of springs the restaurants here no matter what night this time of year like if you want to go to the Texas Roadhouse, good luck. It is, it is busy. Oh, These yeah. places get really, really busy because so many people are here for yep. spring training. I mean, whether it's fans, whether it's players, when all the minor league players get here, uh, major league players, coaches. I mean, they're, all their family. Yeah, I mean, there there's really just an influx of people that arrive to these you know, cities uh, around Phoenix uh, because of spring training. So a lot of good places. Again, another long answer to a pretty simple question. Hey, no, that's, that's <laughs> we appreciate that. Well, thank you so much for giving us some of your time. This has been great. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, always a pleasure talking to you guys. And, uh, you know, I, I, uh, I appreciate you guys talking to me back when in Amarillo and wanted me to, to be involved in, um, in the podcast. And uh, a lot of good, you know, speaking of Friars on the Farm, a lot of good young players uh, out there with the Padres right now. Obviously, a lot of focus on Merrill and Marcy and Paulie right now in the Major League Clubhouse. But yesterday, um, I uh, I was on the backfields, and uh, I got a chance to talk to Homer Bush uh, Jr. for a little bit. I saw Dylan Head out there for the first time. I saw uh, Sammy Zavala out there for the first time. So I'm, I'm looking forward to talking to those guys and seeing them during this spring as well. I'm looking forward to uh, the uh, – the prospect game that'll be after the team uh, leaves for Korea here in Peoria against the Mariners prospects. So yeah, it's a, it's a fun time for the farm. It, it generally has been, I think in the, in the course of your podcast, but right now it's uh, a good time for the pod. Well, now if you need to do some research on these guys, <laughs> now you can look back into our oh. archives because Donovan's interviewed uh, Homer Bush Jr. There you He's go. talked to Sammy Zavala. Hey, <laughs> I'll tell you when I was in Amarillo and you guys know this, you guys would do those interviews at Lake Elsinore. And I very often would go listen to those interviews as sort of a, a basis for broadcast info before I, you know, and obviously I would talk to the players, but maybe I don't interview them for a couple of weeks after they first get, get uh, called up to double A. So you guys, now I would tell you guys like, hey, I, I use, I listen to them and I use that stuff on the air. So I, I'm sure you continue to be a, a valuable resource for everybody. Well, thank you. We're flattered. <laughs> All right. This has been a lot of fun. All thank right. you. Thank you. Thank you.